0: Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative.
1: Welcome to the podcast from Rome, Father John and Father Austin Hello. Litke, the one and only. So kind of a celebrity showing up at the Casa for dinner tonight. <laughs> and, uh, hamburger and uh, french fries tonight. Yeah, the, uh, the hallway smells like french fries tonight, <laughs> as you noted. So, you know, I think that's something they, they, the guys like, you know, just give us the... Smell like America. It you know. takes us straight back to... It smells you know. like Five Guys and Burgers and Fries here. And Ooh, yeah. Peanuts all over the floor. <laughs> no. Cheers. Uh, Cheers to you. Today is the uh, Feast of Barley of Guadalupe. Here we are in Rome uh, celebrating uh, the 5th anniversary... Or Excuse me. This, what is it? The 11th anniversary of the Companions? Of uh, the Companions yeah. is the 11th anniversary. Is it the 5th anniversary of anything? I don't think so. I don't think so. No, think no. It's just uh, <laughs> It's early in the evening for you to be making this. Early season. in the evening. I got this... Uh, picture on my left here that I'm dreaming about here though Austin. Can you see this? I see that's snowy in a few days. I see snowy mountains and trees. That's right. So that's uh, that's uh, Beaver Creek and uh, that is a beautiful bowl that was covered in snow. That was a photo I took with some uh, college kids a long time ago, maybe five years ago. Maybe, oh it's the, maybe, fifth maybe, that, guess, maybe maybe. the fifth anniversary of that fifth anniversary of that picture that's uh, John Fraker's in there skiing in this I think it was called the Stone Creek Shoots of Beaver Creek. You will experience these things. Like shoots and ladders. Yeah, I like that. Like <laughs> okay. more, more shoots, and less ladders. <laughs> yes, I can't. I can't wait to experience the uh, shoots and ladders. Right, in Colorado. Of Colorado, we're trying to kind of sell you on everything. You know, hide all the bad and uh, promise you copious amounts of I don't know edibles and these things to get you to consider coming out to. No, oh, there's all sorts of friends, hey, uh, flora and fauna that I want to see out there. Yeah, so. more and more, it's it's growing. <laughs> your, your your fan base and your kind of future friends club is uh, is growing. So Beatrice Sullivan and yes, the legendary the French contingent in uh, which is basically her uh, <laughs> and uh, and all of the many uh, many people looking forward to having you. So, but here we are in uh, in Italy, and Ed, it's a nice time here. You know, did you see the the markets are back in. Uh, Piazza Navona. and the Piazza Navona. Finally. I think it's been five years. They certainly have not been here since I've
0: lived here, but they were here, what was it, when we were here, how many years ago?
1: 2004. Yeah. They were there. Absolutely. So somewhere, you know, yeah. for about a decade they weren't there. Then back you back. think, you know, with, when you think of the Mafia, you think of like Godfather, and just kind of, you know, little yeah. drumming and these things. And But apparently the Mafia is it's much more petty than that. It's like they didn't want to pay the, Fees or whatever for the. Did you hear about this? No, I didn't know about that part. For, so they just said we're going to shut the market down. Well, the I mean. crying. Well, apparently we don't know these things. Sure, but you know it's funny to think about. Like you know, uh, big monsters they don't want to pay the, the the tithe on their market. You know, so they're just going to take their market and go somewhere. Else. Take their market and go somewhere else. You know, because they have
0: been happening like outside the city for the last few years. Someone told happened, me. Okay. that Okay. Yeah that's good because Piazza Navona that was the classic place where you'd go and there'd be like little rides you'd buy right. like, candy exactly. like, Christmas um, what are those called? nativity set kind of presepe little pieces and that sort of thing
1: it's back and then what's the name of this crazy uh, Christmas witch oh La Bifana La Befana.
0: <laughs> she comes for Epiphany though yeah oh it's okay
1: yeah you know the legend of that
0: uh-huh. um, if I recall right now gosh we're on a podcast now. I have to get this right yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, supposedly the three wise men were on their way to find Jesus in Bethlehem, and they go by her house to ask her directions, but she gives them the wrong directions, and so now she's like wanderingly, wandering aimlessly for eternity, trying to find the Christ child. Okay, Ugh, that yeah. sounds like it's right. I think that's it's basically something right. Yeah, but she's kind of scary looking. But the idea is that she brings you. It's kind of our idea. Like uh, if you've been good, you get gifts from right. Santa. And if you've been bad, you get coal. Right. It's kind of a similar that thing. kind of thing. Yeah. And they also have a candy called carboni. carboni. Have you seen these? No. They're little kind of sugar bombs that
1: look like pieces of coal. Yeah. And that's what parents will give their kids as a joke. Okay. But yeah. Ah, funny. Carboni. Funny. Funny. Well, these are uh, these are the good things uh, these days in Italy. You know, the the hard thing is is doing your Christmas shopping in Italy. You know, if you're not trying to do everything on Amazon, which is very convenient, but indeed, uh, you know, going out to the shops and it's just always a funny experience, you know, like just, I walk into these stores, I caught my, <laughs> I caught my reflection in a mirror and I was like, I, I, as soon as I walk in, they're like, we this, can't take you seriously. This guy doesn't belong. Here. This guy doesn't belong here. And we're definitely not going to, we're not going to pretend like he belongs here. <laughs> so I walk into the Tim store. Now, fortunately I had, uh, uh, I had begged Daniel Eusterman, Father Daniel Eusterman yeah. to come with me because this was my like fifth trip to Tim, which is a, uh, cell phone uh, shop here in town. Do you have you were days? doing Christmas shopping at town? Well, no, it was more of my Christmas errands and then the I necessity of like, all of a sudden my phone just stopped working. Oh, true you enough. Know, so you had to go to the, tip? the plan stopped. They just shut the whole plan down suddenly. You know? Did you not pay? I paid. That sounds like a oh, user error. Yeah, right? well, that's what they told me, but I was okay. like, no, I've done this five times in the last two months. I paid. But we walk into the store, and this guy Stefano is actually super charming. And he's like, oh, you must be the Pope. You have your secretary here. And it's just like, okay, we're nice. fine. You know? And in the next, like, ten minutes, I, we see some of the worst um, kind of, like, customer service, combined with one of the most profound conversations about the sacrament of confession. Wow. That led to this, like, heartfelt kind of goodbye with this guy Stefano. It was just classic Italy. You know? Yeah, it is. We walk in, and we... and. Very eloquently explains the situation (laughs) like this guy had this plan and then it just disappeared and he have been charging him 10 euro a day use data, whatever it was. Sure. And uh, he was like, "Uh, uh, uh," you know, he starts doing the gestures. Yeah yeah. yeah. And then he uh, he's just like "Uh, This is a store. We don't do customer service here. You have to call 118. Right? So he calls 118. He calls the customer service. Actually 118 I think is the emergency. Is that the emergency? he calls customer service from my phone, and then we kind of work it all out. And uh, oh, that's in the meantime, have a nice uh, conversation about you know how frequently to go to confession and the importance of it. And it was just like Stefano, welcome back it, to the second. It was classic. I mean, he probably will not go to confession, but Eustroman gave a nice kind of little charisma there in the in the moment. And... You'd be surprised, you know. Um, uh, last year for Christmas, I went to
0: Siena, our uh, old stocking grounds, mm-hmm. and. Um, I heard confessions and said masses around you know, the days leading up to Christmas and for Christmas, and the number of kind of youngish, like 20, 30-somethings, that would come to confession, and they're like, yeah, I've been away for, you know, a year, years, whatever, but it's Christmas, I'm here
1: with my family, and I decided I'm going to go this year, blah, blah, blah. It actually it happens, yeah. and it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. This guy, Stefano, uh, remembered me because of my complete idiocy with the Italian language. Um, so the last time I was in the store, which was... More frequent than I should have been because they're like, "Why are you here?" You know, mm-hmm. it's like, "Why is this guy back?" The German-looking guys back. Uh, last time I was in there, I was I was kind of trying, getting more emphatic, trying to explain this, trying to act more desperate because there's like a, you have to act desperate, but you can't be threatening. Yeah, you, know you have I mean? to be needy but not pathetic. That's it. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm trying to be needy but not pathetic. Um, and then at the end of the conversation, he says, "Prague uh, Point Noir. Padre. And he's talking afflitti. afflitti. Now he's talking to this he's talking about himself and this really hot Italian girl who's also working at Tim next to him. <laughs> and I said, See they're like you you guys are together. afflitti. And I'm thinking, isn't there a word that's like we're engaged kind of? Fianzati. Yeah, fianzati. So I got that mixed up. So I said, Aguri. I said, Congratulations. Oops. Friend. And what he was saying was, no, we're afflicted. In yeah. this job, we hate our job, right. we hate our lives, and it's because people like you come in and try and say, like, hey, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations, you're a fl- <laughs> So he did not think that it was very funny, but he brought that up as soon as we got back, and I was like, oh, yeah, fleety. so, you know, this is how you learn Italian vocabulary, I, at least how I do, you actually. But, you know, understand. when you when you mess things up, you do remember it from right. then on. from then on, yeah. exactly, so, but I do feel bad for them, you know, dealing with us Americans, and again. You know, Pache to yourself, who's kind of taken on the culture and the language and done well, but... Oh no, I had an experience just like this today, actually. Yeah. So I had to go buy a guitar
0: here, which wow. was its own that experience, actually. Job. And um, because uh, we played some music over with Angelica over the day, and uh, to play bluegrass music, you just need a guitar. Right, of, of course. I went out and got a guitar. And so I went to this nice little shop on Via Cavour, and I got a capo and other things, you know. And I couldn't figure out how to use the capo. Like, I've played guitar right. for, like, 25 years. Um, but I couldn't figure this out. This is not the typical capo. It wasn't kind of the normal one. It's kind of an older kind of model of it, you know? And I'd seen them, and I kind of used it. it was like, I was like, ah, oh, it's not working. So I go to the shop today. And I go to the guy, and I'm like, um, this capo's not working. He's like, show it to him. <laughs> and I was like, okay. He goes, did you do this? I'm like, no. No. He's like, that's how it works. He's like, yeah. okay, thanks. Okay. But then... The phone kept on ringing off. He goes, oh, Lord, help me. And I was like, hey, you know, in heaven, there won't be any telephones to answer. He goes, you know what? That's right. I said, yeah, it's our, that's our only hope, you know. Yeah, <laughs> he pretty. goes, that is our hope. He's like, Father, thank you very much. That's great.
1: had <laughs> kind of my own little Tim yeah, experience, actually. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's it's really good to watch, guys. You just kind of weave in and out the humanity of it, a little bit of the faith. They just, it's intriguing they're not afraid to talk about it. It's, it's, it's really refreshing. Mm-hmm. Except when it's just America, like down Americans. Like, I'm in the grocery store Coop down the street, mm-hmm. and these American girls in front of me are trying to buy, like, they're trying to buy a bottle of water with a credit card. Yeah. You know? Like, because they don't need cash.
0: Which so they're like, like, in Miami, where we're from, and right. we do this all the time. So they're literally buying a
1: tiny thing of frisante water. Yeah. And it's like it's $1.10. Really and yeah. they're trying to use the card. And the woman is totally freaked me out. And I'm like, I'll buy it. You know, it's fine. Yeah. And, uh, and then I get up there and I give her my thing. And it's like, I buy like a, a panettone for somebody. Sure. Right? So this is like maybe 12 bucks. Sure. And I look down on their wallet. I yeah. only have a 50 Oh <laughs> the worst. Which is even, That's worse. even worse. than you get a credit card. And she literally throws her hands up and yeah. just is like she just can't believe it. So i a total of thirteen dollar purchase with a fifty dollar bill. Nobody in this country has changed. Like or Even if they do they hate using they it. They just hate it's like, oh I mean, it was the, it was worse it was worse than the American girls in front of me trying to buy a repair of the credit card. That's right. It was, right. Just, it was yeah. So I was just like a fleety, yeah, Aflite. So <laughs> you were certainly a fleet yeah. yeah. Oh man. So it's uh, every day, and I got more errands to run tomorrow. So it's let's good see, it the is. adventure. <laughs> well. I uh, do think see. that though, uh, when we're gone, we're back in the states or wherever. I think we're gonna miss. It. I think you're gonna miss this stuff because it is the it's, chaos it's, of it. Yeah. It's it's maddening in the moment, but it's also very human. And, I don't know. It is. No, it's true. There there are kind of rhythms of
0: of life here that. Uh, they don't exist in the states, and yeah, we'll certainly miss those. So you're heading back in a few days, as am I. Yes, that's right. So Monday, I head back to. Um, I'll fly to New York, and then go down to Washington D.C. and be there for Christmas. And our favorite
1: Italian family will be coming through. They're going to be in Nashville. In Nashville, it's a yeah. Tayoli family. Yeah. So I think Maria Carla listens, maybe oh, a little she? Bit. I don't no. know if the, the English singer. I forget. She told me, but I forget if it was like I don't or I do or you know so. Well, it can only be one of the other. but uh, right. Yeah, so they're going to be in Nashville
0: visiting their daughter, Sister Irene. Right. And um, I'm giving a retreat to the sisters right after New Year's. And so uh, I'm going to go down a few days early and spend some days at the Tallini, as I call them. Taolini. And uh, I promise to take them to a bourbon distillery. Oh, that's great. So we're going to cross back into the Commonwealth of Kentucky
1: from Nashville, and I'm going to take them to a distillery kind of local. That's excellent. Yeah, that's the difference between us. You're leading retreats for sisters, and I'm going skiing. I'm sure it will have great spiritual benefit to whomever you that um, hope. are with. That is the hope. So, yeah, we're excited to get back though. And uh, I don't know, it's going to be great to be be the family and uh, and I think also just uh, yeah, get a little break uh, break from the work. You're coming up on a big chapter. Yes, um, hopefully, you can kind of um, turning in a big chunk of work before I go home, so that I can you know get
0: ready for the next thing. But uh, yeah, this this time of year. I always think back to school, it always is like getting exams done, papers turned in, that sort of thing. It just always feels like this time of year is where you're working hard and kind of working for Christmas.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Everybody's kind of pounding it out the last few days and then... It's certainly the the sense I get in this house, you know, a bunch of students just kind of getting stuff done. Everybody is
0: crashing. But it goes late this year. Our semester ends like... Well, because Christmas is on a Monday, so
1: basically, in Rome, classes go all the way up until, you know, before. Right, right. So... Yeah, so we'll be home soon enough, my friend, and uh, contrary to the um, proclamation of Nathan Gold, we're still podcasting over here, so uh, I don't know if anybody you know follows the timeline of this, but we're listening to the, the guys back home, I think you caught it first, mm-hmm. and it was like right after we had podcasted, but it hadn't come out. They're like, yeah, Father John's not going to be podcasting. Yeah, so they were like, they're like done in Rome, and it's just closing up shop. Didn't we talk about this? You know, we're still going to be podcasting, it's just not as frequently. So, so we'd like to announce uh, Nathan Gold is retiring from the podcast. <laughs> For, uh, you know, he just you know. I'm going to let you <laughs> deal with those internal politics. That's right. So he's going into male modeling, and uh, <laughs> it's just taking a lot of his time. So he still has the mullet, by the way. So will you get to see the mullet while you're home? I guess yeah, well, you. he keeps it pretty. Uh, he's got the Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's <laughs> got this you know, complex formula of multiple shampoos and conditioners and I've seen the shower. It's, well, it's I've, only, so. I've only seen photos of Nathan not in the shower, but uh, yeah. um so I hope that goes well for you. Yeah. <laughs> a load up. So uh to the topic. Which one should we do? You want to uh oh are already fifteen minutes in. That was a little bit much. Do you want to go first? I'm happy to. Why don't you go first? Okay. okay. Um no, so what I wanted to do is something that I've been kind of
0: I've read about about a bit last summer. Oh, he's pulled a and out of One awesome. of my habit copies here. <laughs> um, and it's a, it's a concept that I uh, had heard of and not really done much reading on or thinking about, but uh, one of our priors last summer at House Studies uh, preached a daily mass holiday on this and just really struck me. And so I did some reading and I've just been kind of thinking about it, reading about it ever since then. And it's the idea of, uh, of penthos, you know what penthos, penthos. penthos it is? So P-E-N-T-H-O-S. It's a Greek word. Penthos. And it literally refers to uh, mourning. Kind of sadness and mourning. Hmm. And so like in kind of ancient kind of pagan Greek, uh, there was actually a god called penthos. And it was the god of mourning, the god of sorrow, and this sort of thing. It was kind of the god of lament, if I'm going I put it that way. And it shows up in Greek and Roman mythology just as the... kind of the divinity that inspires that particular movement within the human heart, particularly around the death of someone that we love or something like that, but just kind of this this aspect of the human heart. Um, Obviously, it comes up in the Bible as well, Penthos, It's just kind of this mourning for the dead, comes up a number of times in the Old Testament, even a few times in the New Testament. But then, within Christian monasticism, it takes on a different character in the life of um, Christian prayer, and particularly in the life of Christian monks the activity of mourning. And it's not just a mourning for your own sinfulness, but it's kind of the mourning for, like, um, um, in general, if you just want kind of a, a sort of generic definition of kind of how they use it, it's it's the mourning that just goes, away with, uh, goes around with the concept of sinfulness in general, and that the monk, uh, particularly in the desert, would just kind of mourn the fact of human sinfulness in the world, and they saw as part of their
1: vocation kind of this continual... Uh, kind of lament about it. So in the scriptures, it's mourning, as we understand mourning, for the death. Of the Usually for the of death people. of somebody. yeah. But kind of get prescription. But then it back. takes on this kind of spiritual... Yeah, because there's this sense that you take on the
0: monastic life, you go into the desert, and you kind of weep for your sins. Hmm. And you weep for the sins of the world. And it just kind of becomes this part of um, monastic life. Such that, in the Syriac tradition, one of the words for monk is abilo, which just means the weeping, Mm. and it just becomes kind of a part of it and so there's a great book uh, written by um, uh, I, he has a he has kind of a German name that he wrote in French Irine Hirschur, uh SJ Jesuit okay. uh, he wrote a book
1: called Penthos I have the title here somewhere I was so like I it it's somebody too. somebody had uh, read, written a book on. Huh? exactly yeah. yeah it's called Penthos the Doctrine of Compunction
0: in mm. the Christian youth. so it's, it's another, another way of describing this whole thing but what I thought was interesting is that it was it was seen to be a kind of a necessary component for Christian prayer that you would have this continual kind of lament and mourning in your prayer, mm. and not just for, again not just for your own sinfulness although that's part of it, but just kind of for the sinfulness of the world and kind of the the loss of friendship with God that is just kind of part of human nature, and that this would be a, a continual part of say the monk's meditation, actually. Um, and so people like Evagrius Ponticus, um, John, favorite. is that right? Oh, that's right. right. He, he did his whole sabbatical. Right. Like he did, he did, yeah. neuroplasticity yeah, and, the Evagrius, and Evagrius Ponticus. Evagrius, yeah. Yeah. Um, and John Climacus and Simeon, the new theologian, John Cassian, the rule of Benedict. Anytime that you have kind of those ancient writers talking about the efficacy of tears and mourning and prayer, this is what they're talking about, mm-hmm. is this is And I just say, just like in the last six months, um, it's been an interesting kind of part to try and like assimilate this into my own kind of life of prayer, actually, and saying kind of the memory of past sin, I always say to people that can confession, it's a really particular moment in the spiritual life when you're just kind of, I think we all have this at a certain point, when you're taking the spiritual life seriously, you have these moments where you're just kind of bowled over by the memory of past sin, mm-hmm. and also just kind of the fact that I as a creature who has been created by God, kept in existence by God, been redeemed by Christ nonetheless continue to disobey and offend God and choose to take myself out of friendship with God. And there's just, like, this reality about the spiritual life and that um, one of the proper responses to this is not just a repentance for our kind of concrete, actual sins, but then to, to actually perpetuate kind of the experience of this kind of mourning for it on a regular basis and that tears always accompany this. So this is an interesting thing um, to read about. Like, with an ancient culture, that kind of weeping and just... Um, the physical act of weeping was just such a normal part of human culture, um, and then it enters into even the Christian spiritual life and the life of prayer as one something to be cultivated. So, actually, like Avagueris Ponticus and his in his work called the Praktikos on prayer, uh, very early on in chapters five through eight, which are these little sayings, like these little kind of koans. I don't know if you've ever read it before,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but they're these short kind of aphorisms. One hundred fifty three of them, which comes from what Francha? One hundred fifty three. Yeah. Do you remember what that number refers to in the Gospels particularly particular? Dealing with the apostles? It's the number of fish that uh, get the records catch. Okay. Yeah, was 153. I this. I'm sure yeah, right. yeah. Um, so he we writes 153 of them, but they're very the very, uh, very beginning, number five through eight. So Evagus actually says this is like the beginning of the Christian life of prayer. Mm-hmm. He'll say, like, first, pray for the gift of tears. And so we talked about this within the charismatic gifts, right? They have the gift of tears. But this is the content of that gift, is that it's, it's it's the ability to kind of physically manifest this penthos, this mourning. And so he says, pray for the gift of tears so that through sorrowing you may tame what is savage in your soul, and having confessed your transgressions to the Lord, you will obtain forgiveness from him. And so it's this idea that we have this physical
1: manifestation of the spiritual movement repentance that actually has a sort of cathartic function. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've always thought of, of the Beatitudes of, you know, Matthew chapter yeah. yeah, 5. I always had the hardest time with the uh, blessed of those who mourn. Yeah, because it's like, really, how we should be done. And when you get the German thing, where it's just like, we don't do sadness. Sorry. Exactly. You know, we don't uh, we don't do emotions, but we definitely don't do sadness. It's like, why is that? And uh, I think to get a deeper understanding of it, um, you know, like it's kind of almost a disposition of the spiritual life. It's not just when sad things happen, you right, you, you know, but it's just.
0: So. No, that's right. And I think, especially in American culture, which is so deeply kind of Protestant and kind of Puritan, and also has a weird Stoic side to right. American culture.
1: Right. The idea
0: that in prayer, I would invent, I would kind of evince this sort of weakness and vulnerability, even in a physical way, is so foreign to us. But mm-hmm. then when you read these ancient authors who were kind of the masters of prayer in the early centuries of the church, and they see this as the initial steps an integral step for every Christian. It's For me, this was the thing that was really striking me this yeah. summer. It's just like, oh gosh, this doesn't enter into my own sort of experience of prayer whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But then when you read the tradition, you're like, this is really integral. It's yeah. something that we have to recapture. Yeah, somehow. very, early on. You know? Yeah. Um, so, um, Evagrius also says there's a danger with tears, though, that because it's such a sort of affective experience, you can start to get attached and even kind of prideful about your experience of the gift. And we know this about charismatic gifts in general, right? They can they can lead to a sort of spiritual pride actually. So people who experience them, uh, there's also a danger in that. That's why you can see so many of the saints saying, Don't pray for these gifts, because they're in in some ways a, a, a cross and a mm-hmm. burden in the same way. What
1: would you say to somebody who just doesn't cry? Well, I mean, I'd be talking to myself. It's myself, too. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and man, I'm not saying that to like say like, oh I don't cry, okay. but it's like I actually think there's like like, this is problematic. It's like, if this is the entry point of the spiritual life. Right. This is a problem. <laughs> so the fathers talk about this. You know, I mean, Evangelius, um,
0: St. John Chrysostom uh, has these. He says that you should actually, like, work on it. Yeah. And, like, have experiences and kind of you know, try to work yourself up to have tears because it's just such a normal part of human experience. Now, that being said, I do think there's a deep cultural conditioning. Here. Right. And I think you have these people who are coming from a largely kind of more ancient Mediterranean culture where... Weeping in public and this sort of thing is a kind of a normal point. Whereas, like, example, for, uh, most recently, uh, George H.W. Bush just died. And when George W. Bush, his son, 43, mm-hmm. gives the eulogy, he cries, you know, during the eulogy at the very end, right? This was like first page news mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, he, he cried, you know. Yeah. Whereas, like, in the ancient world, they're like, well, of course he did. Right. You know? I mean, this is just like totally normal. So for us in American culture, this is so, um, Countercultural that way, that um, we have less access to this, and so I would say you, you want to read these things with a, a sort of cultural kind of lens and realize that okay, this was a normal part of their culture in a way for us it requires a bit more. But that being said, I do think it's something that we should recapture because yeah. it is something basically human right, at the right. same time. Say, um in the Newfeild of the 11th century, he has this great line where he says that tears in re- repentant tears are like a second baptism. That mm. it washes away sin just like it does. And actually, um, John Climacus says that you know tears in prayer are actually more powerful than baptism. He says this. He said if you can speak like this, he kind of has a caveat there. Yeah, yeah. But he just says because what because what happens is that they wash away even post-baptismal sin. You know, in the early church, you had this sense that baptism washes away sins, and then post-baptismal sin. There was kind of a big yeah, like ambivalence God. about what wh- whether it could be forgiven. A lot of people, you know. A lot of the rigorous sects in the third century said no. Yeah. Tertullian, for example, the Montanists, you know, they, they thought that you couldn't be forgiven a of post baptismal graves and mortals. Yeah. Um, and so this is kind of deep in Biblis, but he says, no, actually, tears and repentance actually wash these away yeah. uh, as well. And, and so I think what you get in a sort of, um, um, as a general sense of this in the classical teaching, as, as I've kind of uh, come to see it, Again, is that penthos is this, it's, it's not just guilt for your personal particular sins. That's a that's a particular movement of the heart and spirit that should happen within prayer. But this is a more kind of generic sentiment that just enters into prayer on a regular basis. And I just find in my own experience that, you know, when you have a, a regular life of prayer, very often um, the, the the memory of past sins come up. Mm. And I just think it's really important in that moment because the, one of the temptations in that moment is to despair and to say, I actually haven't really made any progress in my life. This is just who I am. And I think to look at that in the face and say, no, this is a real temptation from the devil to kind of say that, you know, you just can't change. God can't change you. And realize that, no, actually, the Lord has given me his grace, has forgiven me my sins. But there's been this real loss of opportunity of living in the divine sonship that I've been given. And that that's something to mourn, not in an excessive sense of, again, guilt, but of a repentance and a sort of continual mourning uh, for that state of my soul. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think the, the I think about my own kind of inability to effectively kind of permit these movements to happen. Um, the two things that happen, just being kind of modern Americans. Number one is just the kind of the abstract way we approach God and faith. Mm-hmm. Everything's just abstracted. God's an idea. Everything is just a kind of a system of ideas. So at least this is me. I, I feel like I'm kind of like a Hegelian. In that sense of like everything is just, it's just these grand systems, you know, um, and it's not just affectively, especially here when you're just in your head all day, yeah. Know? And so that's a danger. It's just if if God is an abstraction, then it, it's hard to kind of let the heart move in prayer, right? Because you know, you're just thinking all the time. You're just thinking, thinking, thinking. So that's that's the first thing. And then the second thing is to not moralize your passions. Yeah. That's I think is something we do big time in this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, joy is good, sorrow is bad. Right? Hope is good, despair is bad. You know, you just kind of go down the list. Anger is bad. You know, and, and it's just like if I feel these things, I'm good. If I feel these things, I'm bad. And so, if I feel the bad things, then I better, you know, get some kind of drug to kind of readjust these things. Yeah. Or at the very least, push those sorts of thoughts out of my mind that I'm experiencing.
0: Right. And again, when you look at the tradition, it's like no, there are certain that you know sorrow is the proper emotional response to um, an evil that you've possessed. right? And there are certain things in our life, particularly our sinfulness and our failures, that we should sorrow over. Yeah. We don't despair in the theological sense, in that we know that we've been forgiven. And actually the tears, they come from a mourning that produces joy. And actually, um, John Climacus' chapter, chapter uh, the seventh step of the 30 steps of the, the ladder of perfection, he says... That mourning is a mourning, Christian mourning is morning mourning that produces joy. Mm. And so what, what, this, what this does is this reflection on our death, our mortality, our sinfulness, actually gives us a deeper gratitude for the salvation that we've experienced in Christ and the redemption that we've experienced. And it actually deepens our love. And so it's that, it's that saying from the gospel, right? That she who has um, received much, really loves much, you know, who's, who's been forgiven the, the more, loves all the more. And so that's, it's this sort of movement in the heart is what I think Penthos is trying to produce, right. actually. Um, and it kind of it reminded me of a, of a parallel sort of theological treatment that comes from St. Thomas, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. Wait. You've heard of him before, right? Uh, uh, yeah, you don't study him. Medieval. Yeah, he's a medieval. He's one of the medieval theologians. Oh, okay, I Dark, um, dark ages. The, the so-called dark ages, <laughs> exactly. Um, no, but St. Thomas, when he talks about uh, penance and repentance. It's the last thing he wrote, actually, the Summa. Uh, if you if you're reading your Summa, you'll see that there's kind of a cutoff there because he died and he's in the middle of the, the tract on penance. And um, but when he talks about it, he doesn't talk about penance only as a sacrament, as like a sacramental moment. He talks about penance and repentance as a virtue, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And he he says that the 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 virtue the, the acts of the virtue of repentance begin the moment you recognize that you have sinned. And then that that, those acts of the will by which um, you are repenting of your sin continue until they're perfected in the sacramental act of penance. Hmm. Which is a very different it way than I did. think we yeah. most, I mean, yeah. most of us, I think, think of sin and repentance as a sort of ledger account, right? Right. right. I did X. I'm going to go to confession, and receive Y to make up what I did in X. And then right. it's over. Right. And what St. Thomas, I get I think he's reflecting this tradition of penthos, actually, in a sense, to say, no, actually, this is a virtue of the Christian life, by which I continually recognize my own sinfulness. I make concrete acts of penance and repentance uh, on a continual basis for my actual sins, but also just kind of the fact of my own sinfulness that actually makes me more and more deeply grateful for the forgiveness and redemption that I receive in Christ,
1: and that's the key, I think, is that that joy and that the forgive the the gratitude that comes from it because it, it's very paradoxical. You would think, you know, if you're from the outside, it's like Christians just focusing on sin all the time, and kind of especially Catholics just obsessing on sin and making themselves feel horrible. It's like it's not that. It's it's just because it's reality, mm-hmm. because it's the truth of our existence. Um, that uh, when you acknowledge it and your heart moves in it um, that you experience a new freedom of, in, in the repentance and that's reason I mean I've, I felt that recently you know just like with some things I was just like man um, and I kept trying to fix it fix it fix it because it's just Mr. Self-Reliance here um, and then finally just was like just I'm helpless you know mm-hmm. and uh, in that is such a profound experience of, of just freedom End of, of a piece that, but it's different and you wouldn't expect it, you know. So. Yeah, I, th- I think I told you this by, you know, my spiritual director recently, we were in a chat, and I was
0: kind of saying, kind of coming off my retreat, being kind of more deeply convicted about certain kind of failures and weaknesses and sort of constituent sort of habits of my life. And, he, and I was like, I just don't know what I can do about this. And he's like, Well, you can't, it's yeah, not up to you. Yeah. He says, What you have to do is bring yourself before God in prayer and recognize these deep deficits that you've caused in your heart really, but also they're just kind of part of you.
1: And the best you can do is allow
0: God to give you the grace to, to grow out of these things. But you, there's no, there's no 10 step plan to getting rid of X, Y, and Z in your heart. It's just not the way it's put together. And again, I think this morning, this penthos gives us access to that and allows us to kind of rest in the fact of our own brokenness in that sense. Right. Um, which, paradoxically, is is the place where God can actually start
1: working with the heart. Yeah, so rest in it, not just in ourselves, of just like, kind of um, kind of like a lethargic in it, or just like, you know, or despairing. But a, a sort of resignation. A, yeah. Not a resignation, but a rest of like, um, like this is where the Lord meets us, this is where he grabs us and kind of brings us out. I had a wonderful conversation with a friend, a longtime friend, um, kind of spiritual daughter, so to speak, um, and it was so beautiful because it was precisely in the moment of like just some real fit experience of failure that I was like, this is it. Like your self made holiness project is collapsing. Yeah. And this is like so good. It's a great, but it's so painful. Yeah. It's so painful because you literally feel like you've built your whole life on this and everything is crashing down. Yeah. And everything that you've stood for and done, quote unquote measured, uh, is, is falling apart. And that's precisely the moment of just, I think, real, uh, like a profound openness to the Lord. Like your heart just opens in a new way. Yeah, there's that great passage in St. John of the Cross where he
0: talks about that. Um, So much of the spiritual life is the creation of images of God and having them destroyed Mm -hmm. by a deeper and more profound recognition of who God is. Mm -hmm. And you could kind of say the, the, the other side of that coin is also a continual building up of what holiness is and then having that destroyed and making something more profound and deep. That's more true. It's deeply painful, mm-hmm. and it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. Now, the last thing yeah. I want to bring up, um, it's just uh, some Dominican propaganda, um, <laughs> is... Uh, uh, we, know, we know that's why you're here. Yeah, we know. Uh, you know, there's this medieval document called the Nine Ways of Prayer of St. Dominic. Have you come across this? No, no. So what they are are these, they're basically nine bodily postures by which he prays. And so, you know, you have... Yoga stuff. Well, yeah, it's like medieval Christian yoga, actually. Um, uh, because what i would say is that you know, St. Dominic would stand with his arms in the shape of a cross and pray. He would put his arms like, straight up to heaven and pray. He would have like his hands in front of his face as if he were reading a book and would kind of pray. Uh, and so various things. Another one's like scourging himself. Another one's like reading an actual book. Another one's prostrating himself. You know, these sorts of things. But the second one is that he would lay on the ground and weep. Mm. And he would be, for what? His own sins and the sins of the world. Mm. And one of the things that came out of his canonization process is that friars would hear him in the church because he would basically spend the night in the church. I always was said that he didn't have his own cell because he would sleep in the church all night just kind of praying. And he would bathe the fellow with his tears, you know, these sorts of things. But that he would, um, one of the things that came out of the canonization process was that he would, um, he would like yell, saying like, what will become of sinners? Mm. He said it's this deep sense that as a priest, I think, and as a preacher, that he had a real responsibility to intercede for the sinfulness of the world that right. way, and that it would produce this deep weeping and mourning that he would you know, um, pray through every night in the church. Um, and so again, I think he's just, a, he's just a representative, I think, of this more classical movement, uh, where this was a normal part of this Christian spiritual life. I think until, and until modernity, uh, and I think until particularly, again, in, in a, the American thing where you have such a kind of a Protestant, Puritan, Stoic um, uh, formation, where mourning, weeping is seen as a weakness, mm-hmm. whereas I think that that's not really how ancient medieval Christians thought. I think they really saw this as, a, as an integral part of our Christian spiritual life, which helps us be more vulnerable and more real before
1: God, ultimately. Mm. Uh- one of the first things that came to mind as you started on this topic was uh, reflecting on the um, the scandals of the summer, which continue into our present moment mm-hmm. in the United States, the clergy scandals, and um, which will likely continue uh, into the foreseeable future. And uh, the thought that came to mind was, you know, uh, even as companions, we kind of pulled together and we're like, you know, we need to do penance. Yeah, we need to do something. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how guys think we're just kind of hardwired it's like, well we gotta do something right um, but it it always felt cheap to be like we're gonna do a three day novena or we're gonna do a one day fast or we're gonna do such and such you know what I mean it just and nothing came of it in that sense sure and it's not just because we're kind of lazy at which we are but um, it just didn't there was no practical kind of thing it, it was the ledger like you're saying it's like okay these guys have done X we need to do Y and it was like no, we need to start with just, like, a deeper mourning. Like, we just have to kind of carry this for a long time. That's right. In our hearts. And not despair, but, like, really feel it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one of the temptations is to just say, well, we did our nine-day novena, and, um, you know, now we move on. we got to rebuild the church. You know, we got to capital campaign this, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. We're going to do this, do this. And it's like, no, we just need to, like, Stay in prayer in Christ, and with this kind of posture of mourning, I think it's very it's very powerful, and you can see why the fathers were so drawn to this. So yeah, I think it's very uh, timely.
0: No, I think you and I have had conversations about this, just kind of say you know on a sort of personal level as priests, what what is missing in our life that allows these sorts of grave scandals to take place, uh, and then what can we do to institute in our life to kind of um, yeah make reparation for this, but also to reinstate some of those kind of classical parts of Christian and clerical culture that um, that encouraged men to holiness and kept them, right. you know, look, there's real sinfulness and real scandal throughout every age of the church, and so we're not going to avoid it in that sense. But um, we can reinstate, I think, some of these more classical things that uh, give us a deeper, more real sense of uh, sinfulness and weakness and what's required uh, to live the life of holiness. That way. Yeah, amen. Very nice. Uh, yeah, okay. but the, the book, if you want to read a book, there's a book by Irene Hereshur, okay. S.J., called Penthos. It's re- been republished by Cistercian Publications. Okay. And okay. Um, it's a great little book. I read it last summer. It's, uh, it's a great introduction into it. You've got lots of texts of the fathers, and it's, uh, it's a nice entrance into this whole concept to maybe try and put it into your own career. Like, very nice thank you nice topic and
1: i think uh in its own way kind of fitting for Advent, you know as we're i mean this is probably i was gonna in, say it's like quite <laughs> possible but right. uh, uh but yeah nonetheless you know good to uh good to kind of think on these things as we kind of as all of our prayers focused on kind of waiting uh on the coming of the lord and feeling the tension of that you know so well you have a shout out or what do you got um the shout out that i was thinking of um uh, some of the Bernardians from uh, past years
0: have emailed me since the last time we uh, podcasted. Uh, yeah. and so uh, Zach Galante, yeah, Emily Dolsky, oh, yeah. those are the two that I can recall that emailed me last time. After Excellent last podcast.
1: Yeah, it's fun to it's fun to hear from those guys. There, you know, it's just we got a whole new crew coming, which is crazy to think. Of. But none will love as much as the last two years. Of course, <laughs> of course. they know that. Uh, I got a great email uh, response back from. Um, Sister Esther Mary Nickel, who was my liturgy uh, professor in seminary, who I, I, you know, and it was, um, I always email her on the last liturgical day of the year, so right before Advent starts, because there's this office reading from St. Augustine, and uh, she would always talk about it in class, and i just always think of her and pray for her one night. So every year at the end of November, she gets an email from me. We've been doing it for a lot of years now. Um, but one of the things I told her is I was able to share the story of our relationship with um, with you, mm-hmm. and I was I, not the product son. I was the product student. It was just—I was horrible. I was horrible to her in class. Um, and I joke with her now that my worst nightmare is teaching myself in class. And uh, profound experience of forgiveness and um, of someone who I think weaved over her students. <laughs> and, at least uh, one, yeah, at least one, and loved us into it. And uh, she listens to the podcast. She says she's a bit behind, so she'll catch us at some point in the spring. But. Uh, Sister Esther, uh, shout out, out to you! Thanks for being a, a wonderful uh, uh, witness of this, um, yeah. and also of your uh, deep love for Christ. You got a great love and heart for us, so thank you for that. Okay, good? good. That was very. That was my heartfelt. That was lovely. Trying to, you know, You're just learn. Learn. Your, your emotional <laughs> space. And... <laughs> Classic <laughs> dudes. We have to make make fun of the fact that we exactly. almost did something sentimental. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, well, that was great, buddy. Um, yeah, so I think uh, we don't know when this will be published, but likely uh, in the next few weeks. So uh, this is wishing you all a Merry Christmas. A happy New Year. A Happy New Year. And uh, we will catch you in 2019. God bless you.